Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. We are in a series of exploring the Apostles' Creed. It's called, What Do You Believe? We're asking each of you to ask that question of yourself. We're looking at what uh, ancient Christians have said, this is what I believe. And they have said it not just with individual voices, but as one voice, uh, the unity um, that is seen through the creed throughout history is just remarkable. So um, we are going to jump in here. Let me just say a quick prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you be in the uh, teaching of your word tonight. We ask that your spirit would be at work and that you would soften hearts, that you would illuminate the truth uh, through my mere meager words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember last week, we talked about God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we kind of left off, and some of you guys might have been wondering, like, well, we didn't really talk much about the fact that God created the heaven and the earth. So we want to kind of jump right back in um, and kind of set the stage here. When God made heaven and earth, the, one of the most repeated words in the first couple chapters of Genesis is good. G-O-O-D. Good. God created the earth, everything that's in it, the heavens, you and me, and he called it good. It was perfect. Everything had order. There was um, just perfection to it. It was on the road to Uh, the destiny that it was meant for. And then the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, were deceived. And they sinned. And they uh, defied the created order that God had set in place. And something that had not been there was introduced into creation. And this thing is called sin. I'm a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings, the books before the movies. If you remember the Fellowship of the Ring, it starts off and this elven uh, voice is saying these words. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. That much that once is lost, that, sorry, much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. Much that once was is lost. You see, the goodness of paradise was lost. It was gone from the entire world. Sin had corrupted Adam and Eve and all of Adam and Eve's descendants so that um, things weren't the way they were supposed to be. And this was comprehensive. It was our, our reasoning, our souls, our emotions, our bodies, Everything was tainted by sin. Now, it wasn't tainted as severely as it could be, but nothing was not tainted. And because of this thing called sin, the fellowship and friendship with God, the Father Almighty, that we once enjoyed, that humans once enjoyed, walking with him, talking with him, experiencing his presence, now there was a chasm. There was this huge separation, this gap between God and humankind. 
What once was is lost. Friendship with God is lost. Now in its place there is animosity, there is separation, and to put it colloquially, God and humans are not on good terms. Uh, they got something going on. And it's not God's fault. Uh, it's our fault. And because it's our fault, we are to blame. And this means we're doomed. In the fullest sense of that word, this is not a good outlook for any of us. Now, some of what I've shared with you right now is probably like a little bit like, okay, yes, Christianity one-on-one. -on -one. Some of what I shared with you is like, yeah, I agree with that. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but I don't know about all that God stuff. And I just want to affirm the fact that every single one of us knows that something is off. Have you ever walked into a room and had that sense, maybe it's even a physical sense that like stuff just went down? Like there was a fight in here and like people aren't talking to each other or maybe the way they're talking just is like, okay, who's, who just got upset with who, you know, if you're ever, you know, over the holidays with family, sometimes that happens. You walk into the room, it's like, uh oh, better watch out. Um, I was thinking like, what if an astronaut on the space station right now, who's been in orbit, maybe since like January, they like somehow lost communication, lost connection to the New York Times, and then they, they landed back on Earth and they walked around, what would they notice? Masks on everyone, right? Something is different. Something's off. This is weird. And if you multiply that over thousands of years and times the experience of billions and billions of people, can you imagine the way God feels? Something ain't right. This is not the way things are supposed to be. So, but us humans, we are crafty, we are creative, we figure things out, we are problem solvers. So I want to explore, like, how do humans, how do we naturally tend to solve this gap, this chasm between God and man to bring things back together where everything can be good and peaceful again? Well, I think there are, there are three ways that come to my mind. Of course, we can't cover all of them, but the first is religious solutions. The second one is political solutions. And the last one is what I'm going to call personal solutions. Let's first start with religious. And I, I'm using that term very broadly, religious, spiritual, anything that we kind of worship or use kind of religious um, terminology towards. There's this author uh, her name is Tara Isabella Burton. What a great name. And she wrote this book recently, and it's about um, our generation and how we think of religion. And she kind of coins this term that we are, we have remixed religion. We have done it our way. And so I'm just going to read this quote. Today's remixed, that's us, reject authority, institution, creed, moral universalism. They value intuition, personal feeling, and experiences. They demand to rewrite their own scripts about how the universe and human beings operate, shaped by the twin forces of a creative, communicative internet and consumer capitalism. Today's remixed don't want to receive doctrine to assent automatically to a creed. 
They want to choose, and more often than not, purchase the spiritual path that feels more authentic and more meaningful to them. So th this may or may not accurately describe what, what you see, maybe what you believe or experience about life, especially when it comes to spiritual things, especially when it comes to uh, religious things. Um, may, maybe you're the type of person and you don't dabble in spiritual or religious things at all. And th there's another interesting phenomenon going on where we attach religious significance to things that aren't religious at all. There's another great quote from this guy, Derek Thompson, who wrote in the Atlantic Monthly. He says this, that work has become a religion. And he coins this phrase, workism, and he, he defines it. He says, what is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. There's this zeal, uh, to use religious terms, idolatry of work and career and achievement. And this is what he's saying is a religion. It's a new religion. Now, we may or may not agree with that, but certainly we can say that some of us at different times have a bad relationship with our work. The next solution I think we come up with, besides religious, um, are political. And when I, when I say political, I mean uh, the, the way we view uh, politics, the system, government, and everything that goes along with it. There's this guy, Carl uh, Jung, Jung, however you want to pronounce it, uh, but he was a famous, heavily influential um, psychologist. And he wrote in 1958, this is a long time ago, and this was around the time that communism was uh, a huge threat to a lot of people. He says this, that the state takes the place of God. That is why, seen from this angle, the socialist dictatorships are religions and state slavery is a form of worship. The policy of the state is exalted to a creed. The leader or party boss becomes a demigod beyond good and evil. And as votaries are honored as heroes, martyrs, apostles, missionaries, there is only one truth and beside it no other. It is sacrosanct and above criticism. Anyone who thinks differently is a heretic. Now, Jung was living in a very different era. But in some ways we could say uh, this kind of philosophy, or dare I say religion, is alive and well today, both on the left and the right. I don't think there's any side of partisan politics that's immune from this. And what I think we're doing is we're seeking God, we're seeking elevation of humanity through policy, through the state. And there's nothing inherently wrong with the state or state leaders or politics in general, but we're looking for it to be the solution between God and man and the gap that exists between the two. So the next solution I think we, we often see is kind of, a, I'll just call it a personal solution. You know, doing what you can to make things better. 
right? Especially for yourself. Now, because of all of the work we are doing and our attitude towards work, but because of um, the, the, the way we dabble in different religions and spirituality and in the way we um, especially read the news and engage in politics today, we're exhausted. We're absolutely exhausted. We're overwhelmed and we need a break. Um, when I was growing up, I remember um, I, I was so embarrassed when at times I just wanted like a, a night by myself, <laughs> you know, a, a night just to get away, you know, maybe watch a movie, have some junk food and just be by myself. And now I, I think it's really funny and, and maybe even really good that to say like, nah, I'm not going out with friends tonight. I'm going to stay home and watch Hulu. Like, I'm just going to binge Hulu, have my favorite food, just sit on the couch. And we can be proud of that, right? It's self-care. It's care for ourselves. But we go beyond this. We, we, we go to, um, we're, we're, we're so disengaged. We're, we're so um, uh, maybe depressed or anxious that, that we turn to uh, mindfulness therapies, spa treatments, mental health days, all of these things in order to bridge that gap. And the, the hard truth in that is that we always have to wake up on Monday morning and we have to go back out into the chaos. What those things can bring is only a little bit of temporary peace, temporary relief. But we know that when we go out into the world, chaos is there. And ultimately, however much we do for our bodies to make them relax, to make them rest, we, we can't overcome the reality that we are dying and that death is inevitable. Now, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. Um, there is nothing wrong in and of themselves with these things. I want you to hear that loud and clear. But when we see them as our way to get to God, to get things right in the world, that's when there's a problem. In our um, line of the Apostles' Creed that we're focused on tonight, we read, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Let's look at each of these titles for the Lord. Jesus is the Son of God, the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. We, we already read John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible teaches us about a God who is one and three. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you notice, the, the Apostles' Creed is actually structured in those three parts. And the word here in this first chapter of John is referring to the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Now, I'm going to get a little bit deep into some theology, and you're going to wonder, how am I going to connect all that stuff about, you know, politics and everything back to this? And you just, just hang on, just hang on. So, we, we need to understand what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Jesus was not born. Yeah, he was born of the Virgin Mary. We're going to talk about that next week. But in terms of his 
eternal existence as the second person of the Trinity, he never began. Uh, he was begotten. He is and always has been. Uh, he was not made. Um, he has always been God. In the book of Job, many of you guys are familiar with this book. It's about a man named Job who's suffered great, great things. And at the very end of the book, in chapter 38, God comes to Job in the whirlwind. And he asks him the series of questions. Were you there? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I made the stars in the sky, the beasts in the field, the, the, the sea creatures? And he goes on and on and on and on. And of course, at the end, Job, just like you would be, just like I would be, is silent. He is dumbfounded. He has no answer. He wasn't there. Job wasn't there. You and I weren't there. But Jesus the Son of God was there in the beginning at the creation of everything that is. Wow. Jesus was there. Jesus is the same substance of God and he has no envy towards God the Father. Uh, th this is really important for us to understand. In Philippians, it says that he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He is the same substance of God. He's the second person. He's distinct, but not separate. He is God. And this word became flesh. Jesus came to earth. This is the beginning of um, what we're going to talk about next week, the incarnation. But the important thing to, to emphasize tonight is that he is divine. He is God. And this God came to earth. This is remarkable. This is bridging a gap that not only exists between us because we are creatures and God is creator, but because we have sinned against the creator. Both of those things should just, this should blow our minds. The God who created things, the author of the story has written himself into the story. He has become a character in the story. And he is there for a special purpose. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about that purpose and what he uh, was there to do. But first, I want you to see that bridging this gap we're going to use the word mediator. He mediated between God and man. And for us to understand our need for a mediator, why having a mediator between God and man is important, we need to consider for a moment what the presence of God would be like without a mediator, the unmediated presence of God. Let's consider that for just a moment. When the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, there was an earthquake. There was darkness deeper than any of us have ever known. And Hebrews sums this up. Sorry. Yikes. All right, what's going on here? 
Okay, there we are. Hebrews 12 sums up what was going on in Mount Sinai. He says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. When the Ten Commandments were given to God's people, the Israelites, this is what was going on. Uh, people trembled with fear. There was an earthquake. There was fire. There was gloom. There was a tempest. Not even a beast could touch the mountain. But it goes on. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now we can go into the presence of God and not die. Because we are unholy and when we come into the presence of a holy God, we will be consumed. But now Jesus has come as a mediator of a new covenant. And we can now uh, restore fellowship between God and man. Jesus is the bridge. He is the mediator between his people and God the Father. Now let's move on. So what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Well, we, we, you might have, might have thought, and it's okay if you thought that Christ was his last name. We have last names back then. Uh, they didn't really have last names. Christ is actually a title. Christ means Messiah or the anointed one. And from early on, there had been expectation that God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to bring this mediator. And they had just like a, a foggy view of what that would be. And not just the, the Israelites, not just those that had the, the commandments from God, but all peoples and all nations. The Egyptians had Osiris. Uh, the Greeks had Hercules. The Romans had the, the cult of the emperor, Caesar. Indians had uh, Krishna. All four of these figures were seen as mediators between God and man. And notice some of them are politicians. Some of them are strong, healthy warriors who go and they fight uh, that, that which is evil. But each of them serves that purpose of mediating God and man. But to the Hebrew people who had the scriptures, they were told of this Messiah, this anointed one, uh, that he was going to come to earth and save his people. Now, let's move on to Jesus' Lord. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Messiah. Because he is the Messiah, he is Lord. What this means is Jesus is king. Jesus is ruler. Um, he reigns and will reign forever. The greatest king of Israel, David. God told David, hey, even you, you're great, but you're going to die. But there is one from your lineage who will live forever and he will reign forever. And that person is Jesus. Jesus fulfills that Davidic 
covenant by being this eternal king. And we, we see this once again in, in Hebrews. This is Hebrews 1, 8 through 11. And notice that it's quoting most of the uh, text here is from the Old Testament. It says this, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Uh, therefore, you, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. The Creator reigns over his new creation, his church, his people, his kingdom, and he will reign forever. This is who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Jesus is the solution. That problem that every single one of us try to fix every day, this disintegration, this fragmentation that we feel, things aren't right. We are seeking to be back with our Father, God. And Jesus has been the bridge. He has, he has bridged the gap. He has stood between. And he has come to earth to save us. For our desire for religious experience, for our desire to um, engage in practices, spiritual practices to maybe connect with God, Jesus is the high priest of a better way. He leads us into worship. He says, this is the way to worship. Follow me. I will show you a better way. When we uh, become zealous with our desire for political solutions here and now on this earth, when we hate those who think differently than us with partisan politics, when our devotion to activism or any of those things become ultimate, they are counterfeits of a better Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is meant to fulfill that longing that each of us has for a leader who's actually good. When our solutions to the stress that we feel every day, the, the unhealth in our bodies, the fear, the disillusionment, when this leads us to an endless pursuit of self-care solutions, to a problem far bigger than we imagined. We ignore the presence of a better Savior right in front of us. The one who came down to dwell among people who were broken and hurting and exhausted and tired. And he came and he said, I am here to set the captives free and to wipe every tear from your eye." He cares about you, and he came for you. When we ignore or refuse God's solution to the problem of sin and all of its consequences, we turn from the one and only means of salvation. James 2.5 says it better than I could say, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. If there's only one, why look anywhere else? Why look anywhere else? 
God sent his son into the world so that the world through him might be saved. So let's believe in him today and always. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us faith to believe. Lord, forgive us when we look to other things to bridge the gap between us and you. Lord, thank you that you have provided a mediator. You've provided a solution for us now and always. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.